just go with me. And when you have that peace day, man, and I will read it in your hearing. I'm trying to see what uh, what uh, version I'm reading out of. The New International Version. So just so you know. Thank you. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean. Nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, Live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew. You were, you who were naked and bare. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered you your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric, and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. Can we say amen to the reading of God's word? Amen. Now, here in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is speaking to um, the, uh, Jerusalem. And he's letting them know that God is saying all that he has done. He brought them from nowhere. When I read this passage of scripture, I was overwhelmed. Do you see the wording that is used? The words of love and great care. Not just care, but great care. Uh, God showed an extreme amount of uh, pity for um, this budding people. Uh, love, uh, a lot of pride in seeing them flourish and prosper and establishing them and prospering them. He adorned them. And Israel experienced a time when the nations understood that something was going on. They had a God that was caring for them, amen. They amassed wealth and power, amen. And the language that is used here is, is that of a love story, amen. God took them when nobody else wanted them, when they were left to just wither and die, amen. And he saw something great and beautiful, and he made it come to pass with his love and his care. I was overwhelmed reading this. I had never read anything that I can remember. And I've read this before because I've read the Bible before. But as I read this, it touched my heart so deeply at the love and the care of God. Amen. Amen. Do we really realize if you can replace uh, Israel for yourself 
and say that God, when he looked at me, he saw somebody that was pitiful, somebody that was unloved and unlovely. And he took and adorned me, amen, with salvation. And he's prospered me and allowed me to, to flourish, amen. That is the kind of love that our God has for us. He has that kind of love for Israel. He has that love for his people. He has the love for his church, amen. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so I began to think about all that God is. And it, it got me to really think about, okay, what do we say about God? We say, we saw that, what he says about us, amen? Uh, what do we say about God? How do we look at him? Well, we know that we call him the great I am, amen? He's our restorer, amen? He's our provider. Anybody else got, got a word that you can use to describe God? Sustainer, keeper, redeemer, amen? We have a protector. He's our way maker, amen? He's our heavenly father. He is all-knowing. He is holy. He's ever-present. He is a God of love. He is the ultimate judge. He is a king and ruler of the universe. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the list goes on. We as humans don't even have enough or the right words to really attribute to God, amen? But that's, who we, that's how we try to do it. We think about who he is. And then we have Jesus. And we call Jesus a number of things. And we have thoughts in our mind that Jesus, we think about his love, amen? He's our Savior, amen. amen? He's the Lamb of God. Oh, yeah. He's the Lion of Judah. Right. He's our Redeemer, yeah. our Comforter, yeah. our Light of the World, oh, yeah. our Lily of the Valley, yeah. Bright and Morning Star, yeah. Yeah. Balm and Gilead, yeah. our Intercessor, right. our Miracle Worker, yeah. our Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, yeah. the one who sits on the right hand of God. So we have these wonderful, wonderful words that we use to describe God and Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we have to think about, well, we know how God sees us. What do we call ourselves? What attributes do we give ourselves? Well, we call ourselves saints of the Most High. Amen. We call ourselves the redeemed. We're believers. We're loved. Yes. We're forgiven. Yes. We're described as salt of the earth. Yes. We're joint heirs with Christ. Amen? Yes. We're the children of God. Yes. We're Christians. Yes. And then we, we become spiritual. We call ourselves spiritual. And, and some of us call ourselves religious. Amen? <laughs> so we call ourselves many, many things. And in a relationship to who Christ is and who God is and how we look at the love and the care that God has for us, as we saw in Ezekiel 16, one thing that I realized that we don't really call ourselves a lot, we don't call ourselves apologists. You all got that? We don't call ourselves apologists mostly. Because apologists and apology, it, 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 apologetics, it's, it's really for scholars, right? It's for people who uh, do a lot of studying and, and debates and things like that. Well, that began to work on me. I, I began to do a lot of looking into it. It's been um, something that's been uh, eating away at me. The whole idea of apologies, of apologetics, let me say that. Because I never wanted to be an apologetics. An apologetics is one who defends, either in writing or verbally, the uh, defense of something. You can defend uh, a person. Um, with Christian apologetics, you defend the faith. You defend Christ and God and the existence of God and the Word of God. Amen? 
And that's something that I never really uh, aspired to do because I felt like that would be led to a lot of debate and arguing. I always thought of it in a negative context. Anybody else with me? You always thought of that if you heard the word apologetics. You thought of that for somebody else to do, and you may have thought that that would be a lot of debating and arguing with people. I did. And then I began to uh, look into different people that actually were apologetics. And the things that they were saying, and the way they defended the faith, and it was just so beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to defend what we believe in. Now, I know what you're saying. God doesn't need our defense. No, he doesn't. But people need us to defend. People need us to defend what we believe in. Amen? A dying world needs for us to defend what we believe in. So I began to look at why we don't call ourselves apologists or why uh, we should be apologists toward the word of God and to, toward our faith and what we believe in. And I looked at, just throughout the Bible, examples of apologists. So in the early church, almost all the leaders were apologists. They had to be. Because during that time, they were coming out of Judaism and uh, entering into this revelation about who Jesus was and how the prophets foretold of him. So they had a lot of defending of their faith that they had to uh, participate in. Amen? Amen. And um, so you have Paul constantly defending their faith. Peter, Barnabas, and they did this out of necessity. Church, do we do it out of necessity? I, I, there is something in my mind that tells us we're going to have to do it out of necessity. We're living in a time where, where Christianity is, is becoming uh, an offense to people. Amen? You all know what I'm talking about? Do you all see the things that I see? All of the negative talk? All of the negative things that are said about God and Christians? And I feel like I'm, uh, when I see some of the, the remarks and the things that are said and the way that people talk about, and even Christians, yeah. even Christians, oh, yeah. how they talk about our faith, I feel like I'm in this big uh, street and I'm just standing there screaming because it seems like no one is really understanding. They're not listening. They're not getting it. And I, I feel so frustrated. I'll see certain remarks, and the first urge is to, you know, you talk about my God. You talk about uh, my Jesus. And you try to make it so, uh, something that I should be embarrassed about. Not the God who took me and loved me before I even loved myself. But then I had to step back. Because really, the people that, uh, say such negative things about Christianity and God, they're lost. Amen. They're being deceived. Yes. And what I know about somebody that's being deceived, I've been deceived. Yes. When you can't see, you can't see. Yes. So as Christians, we have to help them see. Yes. Amen? Yes. And we're not going to win everybody over. Yes. But we should have a word. Is that what the Bible says? Yes. Okay. So I'm talking to the right people. Yes. Jude 3. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning your common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude is telling us we should be contending earnestly. Can you all say earnestly? That means we should always be quick to, to say something to somebody who is an unbeliever. To somebody who is disparaging what we believe in. Disparaging the word of God. Um, a beautiful picture of an apologist, and a very powerful picture, is shown in Acts, the 6th chapter, verses 8 through 10. The book of Acts, uh, chapter uh, 6 and 7. 
um, and I believe eight, had this particular character, Stephen, a man in the early church. He was the first martyr yeah. for Christianity. It says, chapter 6, verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Sicilia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. That's the, and, and then the NIV says, but they could not stand up against the wisdom of the spirit. Amen. The wisdom of the spirit gave him as he spoke. Amen. Yeah. So that tells me that Stephen relied on wisdom and the spirit in order to speak and defend the faith. Amen. Yeah. And they argued with him, but they're arguing against the wisdom that the spirit gave him. Amen. And they were not able to resist him because he spoke with such wisdom and power. Amen. So Stephen is one who was, as we can say, he was an apologist. Amen. You all following me? 1 Peter 3.15 Then in your hearts, reveal Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And see, that's what got me when I felt, you know, like, I just want to tear into them. Because I see a lot of people say a lot of negative things about Christianity and my God. But they don't say a lot of negative things about some of the other religions. There's a reverence and a, a respect for other religions. But when it comes to Christianity, they're despised. Uh -huh. Amen? Uh -huh. And a lot of Christians, we're, we're not very good at, at giving the word. Uh -huh. We're not very good at disputing what they're saying. Amen? Yeah. But we got to do better, you all. Yeah. Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Amen? Yes. So the Bible tells us we should have an answer. Yes. And see, the problem is that a lot of Christians, um, there was a study where only 13% of Christians actually read the Bible all the way through. 13%. That's a very small number. How can you defend anything with wisdom if you never read it all? Amen. If you don't know what you're defending, you can't really speak to it. Amen. Yeah. I don't know if I, you know, if I have a lawyer and he's representing me, I want him to know the law. Yeah. Right. Amen. Yeah. I'm paying him to know the law. Yeah. My life, my freedom could depend on whether he read a little bit. Or whether he read a whole lot. Yes. Whether he knows what he's doing. Yes. We have to take it that seriously. Oh, yes. And I'm not saying that you have to go all into it. Get me right. And a lot of this is what things that God has put on my heart. And I'm just delivering it to the saints. Saying that this is something we should all do. Yes. But there are levels to this. Amen. It not, might not be for you to, to go to a college and and um, debate in a, in a um, hall. Amen? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, but we should have a word. Yeah. We should know what we believe yeah. and why we believe. Yeah. Amen? Amen. And history will back us up. There's a lot that, that, um, that has been found uh, scientifically and in uh, archaeology to back up the Bible. But you won't hear people say that because a lot of us can't speak to that because we've not done the looking. We've not done the research. Amen. We just say, well, that's what I believe and I know what he's done for me. And, and that's good. A testimony is good. 
But sometimes we need to have more evidence. Amen? Amen. We need to have more evidence. We need to let people know, hey, this thing I'm doing is not, it's not something that was just made pie in the sky. This is real here. Amen? Amen. So what are the arguments, some of the arguments that we um, hear today against our faith? Well, uh, the first one, the big one I would say is, is there a God? Does God really exist? That's one that they, you know, a lot of times they jump to. Is there a God? Is there even a God? And we have, you know, this idea of evolution where it, 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 it separates creation from God. Evolution says that there was just this random act that happened. And then a big bang, and they teach it in the schools. And I remember as a child trying to wrestle with that. Knowing that I learned in church and Sunday school that God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, right. yeah. God created the animals. Yes. God created man. Yes. But in church, I mean in schools, they teach us that this big bang happened. And things just randomly happened. And, and one thing randomly led to another. And it happened over a long, 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 long period of time. Billions of years. And they tell us that we came up out of this primordial soup. And we were once these little uh, crawly things. And then we became, we came up out of the water. And then we, we came from monkeys. Amen? And monkeys learned how to walk upright. How many know monkeys are still walking like they walk? Like monkeys walk? While humans are walking upright. But they try to tie that together. Anything to, to, to say God doesn't exist. God didn't do this. I'm going to tell you, the Bible talks about creation testifying to God. Creation. Romans 1.20 for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without an excuse. Amen. So I'm going to tell you about a, a bird. Amen. A bird that God made. It just get here by chance. And I'm going to describe to you why. And you tell me when I'm finished, did uh, this bird just happen to get here or did God create this bird, okay? All right, all right. There's a, uh, um, a Pacific golden plover, bird the size of a pigeon. And this bird uh, lives up in Alaska in the cold areas. And it, uh, it eats all summer in Alaska. It's warm enough, you know, where they can, I'm not saying our warm, Alaska warm, to where they can eat. What they do is these birds fill up, they're eating, they're eating, they're eating, they get really, really fat, okay? For this bird, about 200 grams. And this small bird, what it does when it's time for it to, when uh, winter is about to come, in September, this bird prepares the lead to fly to Hawaii. Now, if you know how the map is set up, Alaska is up here, Hawaii is down there, there are no islands in between. Man, y'all follow me? So this little bird fuels up, and it uh, eats enough that it takes off, and it flies from Alaska to Hawaii. Non-stop, no sleep, no rest. It flies for about 48 hours straight over the Pacific. You hear me? So this bird uses about 70 grams of itself in order to make this flight. Amen? But when the bird touches down, let me tell you this before I get Okay, the bird in flight is not flying alone. It's flying with other plovers. And so what they do is they fly in formation. Amen? This is the preach. This is really powerful. They fly in formation and they use each other and the wind in order to 
be able to maintain because they actually need 88 grams of themselves to fly. But they only use 70 grams to fly. You hear me? So they're using the wind, they're using each other, they change flight patterns, there will be a leader, and then the leader switches out another leader, so they're not, all the work isn't on one leader. Amen? And they have to uh, make sure they're adjusting for the wind gusts and all of that. They can't swim, so if they were to fall into the water, it's over. These birds fly, and they land in Hawaii. It takes about three, two to three days. And they fly over there, and they land in Hawaii. And when they reach Hawaii, they have at least six grams of reserve energy that they could have used. Reserve. Can somebody say, God is our provider? Here he is. He's designed a bird that can fly across the Pacific. How do you know that most planes don't fly across the Pacific? Did you all know that? They take a land route, so they'll go up uh, Alaska's way, and they'll go across to Asia to get to the other side of the world. Amen? The flight across the Pacific is so long, but these little birds can do that. Who programmed them to be able to do that? How do they know that they can fly, that they need to eat enough and just enough so they can be able to fly? Because too much would be bad. Too little is disastrous. Amen? But they fly over to Hawaii. They touch down. And then the baby birds have to take the same trip without parents teaching them. The baby birds that are nesting back in Alaska, when they hatch, they have to take that same trip. Did that happen by random chance? Or is that a God? What do you all think? What a God! What a God! And he would take care of birds like that and program that into them? And how much more does he care about us? Amen? Beautiful picture of there being a God. Common sense saying there is a creator who, who created them and put that information in them. Amen. You can see um, more of those types of things. I found a video on Amazon Prime. It's called The Incredible Creatures That Defy Evolution. And I don't know about you all, but when I look and I hear and I research, I always verify. I don't just take, you know, information. I always verify and look it up myself. But those things are supposed to encourage us yes. that what we believe is real. Yes. Amen. That's why we can be apologists. Yes. Because what we believe is real. We can defend this yes. with reason. Amen? What uh, other things do people say? Well, people say, uh, did God write the Bible or did man write it? That's another one you hear a lot, right? Yeah. Man wrote the Bible. Well, the Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different writers. They ranged from prophets to, to fishermen, amen, learned men, and men not so learned, amen. Um, the Bible reads as a factual news account of real events places, people, and dialogue, historians and archaeologists have repeatedly confirmed its authenticity. Yeah. Using the writer's own styles and personalities, God shows us who he is and what it's like to know him. There is one central message consistently carried by all 40 writers of the Bible. God, who created us all, desires a relationship with us. He calls us to know him and to trust him. Amen. Yeah. There is a, um, there, the Smithsonian um, has a quote where they have, uh, they have made it uh, public that they have used the Bible to validate or to learn about different cultures and peoples. They used it. Yeah. Amen. So the Bible 
is the Word of God. We believe that it's God-inspired, it's God-breathed. That's what the, the Bible says, amen? The scriptures are God-breathed. Man wrote the Bible, but he was inspired. The writers were inspired by God so that God could uh, have a relationship with us and we could know his word, amen? And then, uh, we, as far as the Bible is concerned, we, we know that archaeology has proven that the Bible is real. Um, there was a big find where the Dead Sea, uh, Dead sea Scrolls were, were found. And that really validated the, uh, the Bible because a lot of the Old Testament Isaiah was found in those scrolls. Amen? It can be archaeologically proven because there have been thousands of artifacts that have proven the historical accuracy of the Bible. Thousands of artifacts. And I, as I was scrolling through, I'm looking at, you know, tablet after tablet. Uh, the Egyptians, uh, they have a, a tablet where there's hieroglyphics, but they're talking about the Israelites. Um, one uh, picture is showing Jehu, the, um, the king in Israel, who's bowing down to the Egyptians. The Moabites have something where it shows that they... Um, uh, King Omri, they, he was talking about King Omri, that he was defeated. So these things can be located by us. We can see these things. Especially now today with our smartphones, it's right at our fingertips. So we can dispute with wisdom that the Bible is what it said it is. Some of the finds include Belshazzar, King Darius and King Cyrus is being mentioned by name. What were once thought to be mythological empires mentioned in the Old Testament like the Hittites have been found to have existed after all. We already knew that, right? King David's reign was found recorded on ancient Egyptian inscriptions, evidence of the regal house of Nebuchadnezzar, and a stone tablet bearing Pontius Pilate's name. Amen. So things would be found uh, in the Old and New Testament. Another argument that we hear is, didn't man choose which books to use in the Bible? Anybody ever heard that? You can't trust it because man chose what was supposed to be in there. Amen? Why did they leave out the other books? Why did they leave out the book of Thomas and the book of Mary Magdalene or, or you know, different books? Why did they leave them out? Well, there were councils that were held because the church was widely used in some of the books. And then some of the books were not widely being used, but different sects were using them. Amen? So the church came together and said, okay, we have to make this uniform. What are we saying is the inspired word of God? Amen? And so they drew out certain measures to help them measure whether a book was authentically God-inspired or not. Amen? Some of the things they used was, uh, was a book written by a, po a prophet or apostle or someone close to an apostle. That was one of the measures. Was the book confirmed by acts of God? There were the miracles and things in the book. Uh, did the message tell the truth about God? It wasn't, you know, something that was out of God's character. Amen? Does it come with the power of God to show the miracles and change lives? One thing that is unique to our Bible is that it changes lives. Amen. I'm a living witness. Anybody else? Amen. If you open it up and read it, it speaks of life to you. Amen? It's life-changing. Another measure was it accepted by the people of God universally. So they didn't just randomly choose, randomly choose these books. There was not, you know, it was just, oh, we like this one, let's use these. They used a system to help them determine which, uh, which books would really make up the Bible and were consistent with the message of uh, Jesus and God. Amen? So when people say that, you know, you can speak to that. You can look up the canon and how they went about making uh, the, the determination for which books to use. 
And that was early in uh, the, the fourth century. So this was shortly, you know, shortly, relatively shortly compared to our lifetime. Um, after the walk, you know, the apostles of Jesus walked the earth. That's a relatively short period of time. People say the Bible has a bunch of bearers. You ever hear that? Most of the time, people are not doing the, um, the in-depth study to be able to compare scripture to scripture. Amen? So they'll say, that's an error, because in here it says this, and in here it says that. Most of the time, that's not the case. It doesn't have a bunch of errors, but uh, it does have some mistranslations. People might mistranslate. That's human error. That's not God error. Amen? Amen? God does not make errors. People oftentimes misunderstand the use of the word because the Greek language or the uh, the Greek language is very complicated. So a lot of words that they have, we don't even it doesn't translate in our language. So you see the different translations. They're trying to get as close to uh, speaking it to where we can understand it. Amen. Man is attempting to communicate the Bible uh, in our current language language and our current use of words, that's why you have the many translations that you have. People say, did Jesus really exist? That's another one. Did anybody hear that? Anybody ever hear those? Did Jesus really exist? You heard that? Well, what do you believe, young man? Do you believe he really existed? Uh Okay, so let me tell you let me give you some, just a little fuel that you can tell somebody. Yeah, I believe he existed and this is why. Because sometimes when you're debating and you're defending something, you know, to defend from a place of, well, we're going to use the Bible to defend. Well, the person doesn't believe in the Bible. Believes it has errors. So you have to use outside sources. Amen? So you can say that, okay, you don't have to believe the Bible. I can show you where other people who are not Christians verify. Whether Jesus lived or whether this is true. Amen? So, the first one um, is Flavius Josephus. And he was um, a historian. uh, He was born a few years after Jesus' crucifixion around 37 AD. He was a well connected aristocratic military leader in Palestine. And he gives an account of an unlawful execution and identifies the victim as James, the brother of Jesus, who is called Messiah. So here is Josephus, and he's a historian. He's telling the history of the Jews, amen? And he mentions Jesus in it. When he mentioned Jesus, if, he's, if Jesus really wasn't real, if he hadn't known from eyewitness accounts that there was a Jesus, and he was crucified. So he mentions him several times. This is the first time I saw that he mentioned the brother of Jesus, which was James, who was wrongfully crucified. And James is another writer of our Gospels, amen? There was a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus, And he wrote between uh, 115 and 117 A.D. And he says, they got their name from Christ, who was executed by sentence of the procurator, Pontius Pilate, in the reign of Tiberius. So he's telling an account, and he mentions Jesus again. He said, these Christians, they got their name from this Christ, who was executed. So he's validating the existence of Jesus once again. Amen? He's not a Christian. He's he's not trying to to uplift Christianity. He's just saying this is what our historical record says happened. Mention of Jesus can also be found in Jewish rabbinical writings. That's what the Jewish rabbis wrote. From what is known as the Tenetic period, between 70 and 200 A.D., in Sanhedrin 43a, you can find that, look it up. 
it mentions Jesus was hanged on Passover Eve. Is that what we learn in our Bible? That he was hung, uh, hung on a cross, amen? And we celebrate that as, uh, around, right before Easter, amen? So the rabbis identify that Jesus did exist. They do not believe him to be the Son of God. But they say historically he did exist. So now can you tell somebody, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus did exist. He walked the earth. There are outside sources outside the Bible that can prove that he did walk the earth. Amen? You know, the Bible tells us that in the last days, the times that we're living in, that there will be scoffers that will come. Walking according to their own lusts. We are living in those times. Why would you think people don't want to give credit to Christianity or don't want to say there is a God? Well, they don't want to be faced with the, the realism of their fallen state. They don't want to go by the rules and the laws of a creator who says what is right and what is wrong. We live in a time of relativism where people say, whatever I feel is right, is right. Whatever you feel is right, is right. Who can judge me? Who can judge you? I stand here today saying, God is the ultimate judge. And whether the world wants to believe it or not, there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They're not doing it now. But there will come a time, man. This God that loves us so much. Like we saw in Ezekiel 16, love so much. Great love. Great pity. Great care. He deserves to be defended. He doesn't need it because God doesn't need our help, man. But he deserves to be defended. People who are lost and dying need for us to give them an answer. Yeah. Otherwise, they just write it off and say, see, they don't even know what they believe. How many of you ever heard that? Christians don't even know what they believe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're living in a time of people, uh, people being willfully ignorant. That's one of my favorite terms, willful ignorance. You see it a lot, amen? amen. Where people are choosing just to be ignorant, just not to not to try to know, not to try to see the facts, not to try to, you know, look at with their eyes. In, in Job, it's saying, ask the animals, ask the birds who their creator is. The animals know who their creator is. And we are supposed to be the intelligent ones, right? And yet, as a society, society, we don't know who our Creator is. I'm going to leave you with five quotes about apologetics that we can think about. And again, I want to reiterate, these are things that God puts on my heart, but it's something that I feel impressed to let the church know that there is a, a, a mountainous amount of information that we can utilize. If you have those people in your families, and your circles, who are really anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-Jesus. I'm not going to talk about the color of Jesus. That's a whole different subject. But it's, it's like this world is looking for any excuse to reject the truth. Amen? Men don't have to be men anymore. They can look however they want to look. Women don't have to be women anymore. They can get it surgically uh, changed so they can be whoever they want to be. We are living in a very deceptive time. But there are some who, who need us to defend our faith. There are some whose minds and hearts may be changed if we can if we can just speak to it. Have you ever looked at this? Do you ever know that this was found and this proves the Bible? This proves that Jesus exists? The word of God was proved to be true this time and this time and this time? You know, how much more powerful and effective could we
we'd be if we can just do a little more of learning for ourselves so that we can be able to impart that into others. That's all I'm saying. Brother Devin said I'm getting whoopings. I'm not giving out those whoopings. I'm telling you all that this is something that God put on my heart. And now I don't look at apologetics as something I don't want to do. It's something I'm looking at. God, give me the wisdom by your spirit to be able to eloquently speak to the unbeliever, the one who is, is, is so anti-God. The one that calls God a sheep. The one that says Jesus is, you know, never existed or he, he wasn't the son of God. The one that says, uh, you know, that they just, man just put anything in the Bible and they changed it this time and this time. And the white man uh, made the Bible. All right. We have to be able to have a word for that. Yes. Amen. 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 Let me leave you with these five, five um, apologetics uh, quotes that you can just think on. Most people understanding the Christian faith is a misunderstanding. Most people's understanding of the Christian faith is a misunderstanding, including Christians. Apologetics helps clarify so that they may reject us on what we do believe and not on what we don't. You got that? Give it to them where they can object what we do believe, but not what they think we believe. Not what we don't stand for. Amen? Just make sure it's your ideas that offend and not you. That your beliefs cause the dispute and not your behavior. So when you're uh, being apologetic, when you're defending the faith, make sure it's not your attitude that you're giving off. The kind of spirit that you're coming in. Because the Bible tells us to do it in a way that's soft. Amen? Uh, that's respectful. Amen? So make sure it's that when you, when you go to defend the faith. Yes, if truth is not undergirded by love, it makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious and the truth repulsive. Yeah. We don't want to be obnoxious, come off as obnoxious, amen? Because then it makes what we're saying repulsive. People don't want to hear it. That's not the idea of what we want to do, amen. We want to draw people to Christ, amen. So we should have the right spirit in doing that. More often than not, it is what you are rather than what you say that will bring an unbeliever to Christ. This, then, is the ultimate apologetic. For the ultimate apologetic is your life. How you live it. Make sure that's matching up to what you're defending, amen? amen? The Word of God, make sure your life matches up to that. Your heart matches up to that, amen? Last one. If our culture is to be transformed, it will happen from the bottom up. From ordinary believers practicing apologetics over the backyard fence or around the barbecue grill. Is that doable? Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we defend while we're just chilling with family members, you know? Can we just bring up God? Can we ask, you know, little questions to see how somebody's believing? Or maybe we saw a post and it just didn't look right, you know? Can we question those kind of things with love? And just present some information for people just to look into it. You can look into it. Don't take my word for it. Look into it. If we did that little by little, how much of an impact will we make, do you think? Amen? Amen? Amen. That is all that I have. That's what God gave me. And that, that is born out of, you know, looking at Ezekiel 16. I just felt like with all of that love and care that God shows us, what do we get back in return? What does he want to do? What, what does he want us to do in return? And one of the areas is defending this faith, getting this word out. And doing it in a way where we can talk to anybody. There are people who are kind of soft to the word. Amen? They might be a little easier 
to, to get them to see uh, what Christianity is all about. But then there are some hard cases. Anybody know some hard cases? Some hard cases. They're going to take a little more. But with prayer, with the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom, we can help to change minds and hearts. And that's a little thing. That's a little effort that we can give to this God who loves us so much. Who has cared for us so much. Who's brought us from a mighty long way. We can do that, right? We can do that, right? As I uh, make the altar call right now, and it is my prayer that you all got something out of the word on today. Um, got something that you want to think about. Um, you know, you, you might go to your phone to go um, to, to uh, different, you know, um, uh, different avenues that you can look up. And just start digging into this thing that we believe. There's a wealth of information out there. And I told you for myself, being raised by a mother who was Christian and a father that was a nation of Islam, it speaks life to me when I find evidence of my Christian faith and how real it is. It's life to me. It can be life to somebody else too. Because I don't know about you, I, I know some other people have struggled with that. Is my mom right? Is my dad right? Who's to say? How do I know? And it's okay to challenge. I'll tell you, when you start looking into your faith, it, you know, some people don't want to mess with that because they don't want to, you know, find anything that might, you know, be contradictory. I'm telling you that the word God can stand up. Amen. It can stand up. Yes. And it stood up for me. That's why I'm here. Amen. 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 If you all stand this time, I'll make an altar call.